You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. Launching into uh, a new series this morning, we're in the book of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, these uh, short letters of Paul. Uh, There's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, known as the pastoral epistles, because they're written to to pastors and uh, take up uh, the the issues of of church leadership. And you might think, well, what's the use of that to me? I'm not a a pastor, never going to be a pastor. Um, But these letters are written to the whole church, and they're for all of us to, to instruct us and to teach us. So I'm just going to do a little introduction before we come to uh, read the sermon text, which is there printed in the bulletin. So we've uh, been looking uh, in our series in Acts at the, the, the beginning of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We've seen the conversion of, of Paul on, on the road to Damascus, this man who persecuted and attacked the church of God as, as Christ, the risen Christ, meets him as he's converted. And then as he begins to boldly preach in the name of Christ and begin to face great persecution and great difficulty. Um, and, and then we, we're sort of leaving our series, but if, if you know the story of the book of Acts, you'll know that um, it, it continues with later on with, with Paul preaching throughout the, the ancient world in these great centers of like, uh, he's preaching in, in Ephesus and he's preaching all over the ancient world. And we come actually to the, these letters are at the, the end of his ministry. The end uh, of his ministry. So he's, um, he's um, this is after his, the, the book of Acts uh, finishes with him preaching uh, the gospel in Rome. He's under house arrest in Rome. And 1 Timothy is written uh, just sometime after that. So the Acts doesn't complete the, the, the story. Uh, Paul is then freed and it seems he's, he's writing this. He's meeting Timothy after this. And actually then there's another imprisonment. 2 Timothy comes somewhat later. So um, we find him uh, in this, uh, this letter. We see that Paul not only has this great concern to preach the gospel and plant churches founded on Christ all through the ancient world. He's actually got a deep continuing concern for uh, the churches. And uh, he knows that after he's gone, there'll be great challenges for the churches. So in the early days of the the, the gospel. Remember that there was great persecution coming from outside for the churches as they were attacked. Uh, Paul also knows that there's going to be great trouble coming up from within the church when he's speaking to the elders of the the, uh, church at Ephesus. He says, after I'm gone, savage wolves wolves will come up to destroy the flock. He knows there are going to be problems for the churches after he's gone. So he's got a deep concern for the churches. And so he's writing to Timothy, saying Timothy to stay there and sort out uh, these attacks. And I think uh, in many ways the the, the sort of trouble for us uh, in the Western churches is is less at the moment outward persecution, but very much we face false teaching and that inward rot and decay in the church. So these letters are very relevant for us. And these letters preserved for us by the Holy Spirit so that we might know how Christ wants his church to be ordered 
and built so that we, as we establish churches here in Gloucester and elsewhere, uh, might be building on the foundation of the, the apostles and prophets and building in a way which is wise, not in a way which is uh, like the foolish teachers of the law. So I want to look at these uh, first 11 verses. Um, we'll be looking at 1 Timothy running up to, to Christmas, all being well. So let me read the text for us this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Saviour and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain um, discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Well, may God bless the reading and the preaching of his word to us this morning. Well, it's customary in the ancient world when you uh, begin a letter to begin with your own name. So Paul starts here with his own name, Paul. Now, when you write a letter, uh, you probably don't do this. You certainly wouldn't say Paul. You'd write something like, Dear Auntie Flo, thank you for the socks, love from, and then you put your own name. Yeah? Well, in the ancient world, it was the other way around. So Paul here starts with himself, which I think is, is probably a, a very sensible idea. He starts with who he is and introduces himself here as the Apostle of Christ. Remember those 12 apostles? They'd been with the risen Christ, and Christ had appointed 12 apostles and sent them as the official teachers of the church. And then we have the Apostle Paul, specially appointed. He'd seen the risen Jesus Christ, and he'd been given authority directly from Christ, this commission to speak the word of Christ. He was the apostle to the nations, to the Gentiles, to bring about their inclusion into the church of Jesus Christ. So Paul is he's, uh, uh, giving his credentials, saying who he is. And so this letter is a, is a personal letter to Timothy, um, 
And Timothy, if you read the, the book of Acts, you learn about him. He was, uh, his mother was Jewish, his father was a Greek, but he was converted to Christ. And then he accompanied Paul and Paul trained him up. And he was with Paul in, in many of his travels and sent by Paul with different assignments to Corinth and so on. So this letter, it's a, it's a personal letter addressed to Timothy, but it's also an official letter. That's why Paul introduces himself as the, the apostle of Jesus Christ by the command of God. Timothy knows all this, but there are those in Ephesus amongst these house churches, these other leaders and teachers who are rising up who needed to know that Timothy was there under the full authority of Paul and under the full authority of Jesus Christ. So it's a personal letter. It's also an official letter. Um, and it's also, um, it's also like an open letter to the churches. This is part of scripture. So the Christian faith is not like a mystery religion where, where the leaders of this mystery religion have special initiation and secret documents and higher things. Everything is written, everything that we have as pastors is written in the book. All the other documents that we have, the confessions of faith and so on, are attempts to formulate and explain what is in the Bible. So all the instructions for pastors and for the church are in the Bible. And those are open documents for all of us, for the church. So it's important that these letters are here in the Bible so that we all know our task and our job. And so the church, so we all know what is the pastoral ministry, what is the task of a pastor, what should the church look like. Um, and so there are many teachers uh, of the law there uh, in Ephesus. And he is um, saying here is Timothy, his true son, his true son. Uh, Timothy was the genuine model of pastoral uh, ministry. Uh, there were many who were spurious, teachers of the law, but actually not doing anything like a genuine uh, Christian ministry. So here we are, a letter for uh, pastors. Uh, it's been pointed out this introduction is, is Trinitarian. We see God the Father and God the Son. And you're thinking, well, what, yeah, well hang on, where is God uh, the Holy Spirit? But we have the, the grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ. Uh, the grace, mercy and peace from God comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Some have said grace, mercy and peace are the Spirit himself with us. So I think it's fair to see uh, a Trinitarian opening to this letter. And he writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Typically, Paul starts his letters, grace and peace. And here he adds in this, this term, mercy, has been suggested. Here, here's a pastor, Timothy, in great difficulty. Uh, and he needs particularly to know the mercy of God with him. Think of pastors that you might know in particularly difficult situations. And don't they need to know the mercy of God? God. So um, we're going to look. I I can't remember. Have I done? Have I given you my four points, or have I just? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. So I've just waded into it, and you're left there thinking, "Oh no, it's going to be a stream of consciousness." Okay. So there are um, four. I'm going to look at it in four parts. Apologies. Uh, his introduction, which we've already done. We are a point up. Okay. So we have three points left. We're going to look at his charge in verses 3 to 5. Paul's charge in verses 3 to 5. And then his challenge to the teachers of the law, verses 6 and 7. And then his wisdom 
the proper use of the law in verses 8 to 11. So there we are. One of my points of application is going to be that, to pray for the ministers that we would rightly handle the word of God. So, uh, yes, I do stand in need of your prayers. So we've done Paul's introduction. Now come to look at this charge from verse 3. It says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, and some of you will have uh, some of you have got maps there. There are some maps. You can see where Macedonia is there. It's where the regions where, where Philippi, it's northern Greece, where Philippi was and where Thessalonica was. So he's, Paul is he's out of prison. He's going back up to Macedonia. Remain at Ephesus. You might like to see if you can see Ephesus, important seaport, this cosmopolitan city. Uh, and a great pagan center of pagan worship where there's been this great um, reformation under the, the preaching of the word of God. Uh, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. And these were Jewish teachers of the law, um, sort of jumping off the scriptures into all kinds of speculative teachings. Uh, we have a bit of a penchant at Gloucester Pres for genealogies. We've had uh, two or three already. And this is not what Paul's talking about. This is fine. That's in the Bible. These teachers of the law were launching off into all kinds of other speculative areas. The genealogies in the Bible uh, teach us many useful and good things. Um, so Paul had urged Timothy uh, in person uh, as he was going to Macedonia. He, he saw Timothy face to face. And said, look, let's go back to Ephesus, stay in Ephesus. And then he follows it up with this letter. So you see his great concern uh, for the churches. And he urges him to stay. So it seems that Timothy perhaps is tempted to, to leave. We can see in many ways this is going to be a tough assignment for Timothy. And he'd perhaps be just tempted to abandon his post. And he needs this encouragement to stick to it and to stick to the task in face of different kinds of opposition. <clears throat> And, um, and there's this contrast which Paul makes then between this teaching, which just promotes speculation and sort of frothy teaching, which sounds good but doesn't actually build anything or do anything. There's contrast between that <coughs> excuse me, and the, uh, the stewardship, he says, from God that is by faith. And there's a contrast between the character of the teaching, this stewardship which arises from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. So this godly teaching is connected with an impure heart or impure motives and a bad conscience and insincere hypocritical faith. So the character of these teachers of the law is um, they wanted to draw people away to them. There's, uh, their, their motives are impure, but there's this contrast with this stewardship. And that's an important word uh, in the pastoral epistles and in the teachings of Paul. When we hear a steward, we tend to think of those guys who wear orange vests and tell you where to park at events. Uh, but the word in, in, in the Bible, it's uh, related to, well, it's, it's a steward is a household manager. There's a couple of par parables the Lord Jesus teaches of, of, of the good steward, one who looks after uh, the owner's household, looks after the household on behalf of the, the owner. You think of Joseph, 
who was a steward for Potiphar, looked after everything in his household. So the owner can go off and leave the affairs in the hands of the steward. And Paul sees his ministry as that as a steward on behalf of of Christ, actually uh, caring for the church of God, bringing food. He sees himself as that master builder, laying the foundation of the the church. Um, But there we have this, him also as a steward. So he's not just one who builds the house, but one who orders and organizes and takes care of the household. Um, And so this comes up numerous times in 1 Timothy. So he says in uh, chapter 3, 14, chapter 3, 14, I hope to come to you soon, uh, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. And actually, this concept runs through with instructions to elders and deacons who are supposed to run their own households, uh, run their own households well. Otherwise, how would they know how to uh, take charge in the household of God? So Paul, here he is. He's away from the church in Ephesus. He knows in his absence these teachers are going to rise up and there's there's all kinds of speculative teaching which isn't going to do any good. And he wants the edification and the upbuilding of the church, uh, promoting the, the godliness and the godly ordering of the church. So his charge to Timothy is to remain there and to sort it out. So and then his challenge in 6 and 7 is that these teachers of the law do not know what they are talking about. Verse 6, certain persons, by swerving from these sound doctrine about Christ and his law, have wandered away into vain discussion, empty discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, this this is terrifying, isn't it? Here are people in the church, teachers in the church, who look the part, they have Bibles, they sound like they know what they're talking about, they're compelling, but actually... They haven't got a clue what they are talking about. It's sometimes said that uh, the qualifications of what you need to, to succeed in public life are two things. You need confidence and you need ignorance. And with those two things, you'll go a long way. Well, it, it's terrifying that that kind of thing goes a long way in the Church of Jesus Christ today. And Lucy was telling me there's something called the Dr. Fox effect amongst medical, medical papers saying that, that actually the, uh, the, the manner of uh, the content of the uh, presentation is really less important for what people, how people rate a teacher. It's more about their charisma and style of presentation. If you've got that, then the content really doesn't matter so much sometimes. And that sadly is true in the church of Jesus Christ. And that was true in Ephesus. So these teachers uh, were impressive. Had they been there today, they would have had a great website and a great following. And people would have loved it. But they would have gone away and actually not had, <laughs> not had anything to build into their lives, not actually had solid doctrine or solid teaching. This is a, it's a really grave danger in the church today, and particularly young believers and young people who can be join great churches, great churches, and have this compelling teaching. But actually, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't expose sin, it doesn't lead people to Christ, it doesn't edify or build up the church. And so he's charging Timothy to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine and that which will build up the church and promote, actually promote the household of God. 
And so we have this challenge about these, um, these teachers of the law who are, have this speculative understanding of, of various manner, which doesn't really do much. Uh, and then the contrast is with Paul's wisdom, his own proper use of the law of God, verses 8 to 11, where he says this. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. He's not against the right use of the law. And he's talking here about, uh, remember, about the Ten Commandments, the law of God, the ethics of the scriptures. And he says that understanding this, the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. And then he gives this list. And interestingly, as he, as he lists it out, he then lists sins in order of the Ten Commandments, starting with parents, commandment number five, and then he goes five, six, seven, eight, nine. And you can map the, this vice list onto the Ten Commandments. And we'll do that as we go through. And so it seems to me he's got the whole of the Ten Commandments in mind here. He's talking about the, uh, the godless and the unholy. Think of the, the first table of the law, um, the, the, all about loving God and hallowing his name. And, and then he runs through the Ten Commandments. And he says that actually the law is laid down to expose and restrain sin. The law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. Now he's not saying here that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, are of no use in the life of the believer in Christ. He's not saying that at all. It's not like you can become a Christian and then throw away the Ten Commandments because we're under grace and not law. That is not what Paul is saying here. Um, he's actually saying that the law, it highlights and exposes sin. So think of it like this. Um, you know those, you may know those speed limit signs if you're driving along and come into a, a little country village where perhaps uh, you don't know, but there's a primary school and you're coming down the lane and uh, it's, uh, the sign says 30. Uh, and it doesn't just say 30, it starts flashing at the driver of the car, and the, then above the sign it has a, a, a speed on it, which says something like 35, and some of them have even got frowning faces on them to make you know that you're transgressing the law. Now, who is that laid down for? That is laid down for the people who are likely to be breaking the law and don't realise that they're going at 35 and there's this village. It's not actually laid down for the person who lives in the village, whose children go to the school, and they always drive that bit at 25 miles an hour because they're particularly careful because they live there. It's not actually, the signpost is not there for them. Okay? It doesn't mean that they've sort of internalised the law. They know what it's there for. So Paul is here he's speaking in general terms that the law is laid down for the <clears throat> for the for the, those who are going to be breaking the law. <clears throat> and it exposes sin. The law of God exposes all our sin because there's many areas of our life where we need, as it were, those flashing lights saying, no, 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 you are, this is not God's way. And so we're going to have a look uh, at this list. It starts uh, with uh, those who strike their fathers and mothers. So the fifth commandment, honour your parent, honour your father and mother, honour them. Here is the absolute reversal of that, actually striking, attacking your father and your mother. Um, he goes on to murderers. Sixth commandment, do not kill. <clears throat> Seventh commandment is do not commit adultery. 
a command which shows us of the, the importance of the marriage bond in God's good purposes for creation. God created the world and he um, created marriage to be the institution between a man and a woman within which children might grow up and be loved and nurtured. And the Ten Commandments, we see there's honour of, of parents and there is this great concern for adultery. This, is, this household unit of the, the family is really important within the Ten Commandments. And so when he talks of sexual immorality, he's, he's talking about things which just attack and destroy that institution that he has set up, whether firstly he talks of sexual immorality, and the Greek word there is porneia, just a general, from which we get pornography, uh, the general word of sexual immorality, sex outside that covenant of marriage. And then he talks about uh, men who practice homosexuality, and this relates to sexual activity between men, and the, the word here quite literally is men betters. So it's, it's a pretty crude word in some ways. It's used in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, talking, which talks both of the active and passive partners in sex between men. Um, and so some within the church will want to argue that these sorts of words, they will allege that these things refer to uh, male prostitutes or, or sex with young boys or things. But that's incorrect. This is simply men who have sex with men. I think homosexuality actually is probably a slightly anachronistic translation there because that word is not coined until the 19th century and, uh, and, and Paul really is describing behaviours and not sort of identities and there's a lot to, to unpack with these sorts of things. But that is, uh, Paul is he's protecting, it's the, it's the seventh commandment, protecting marriage. Um, and then the eighth commandment, interesting, do not steal, and he mentions enslavers. Man-stealers, slave traders, that is those who kidnap people and then sell them into slavery, which is outlawed by God's law. Uh, and God's law works to limit and overthrow the institution of slavery. And we'll get on to a, a fuller discussion of that later in the letter as we, we come onto that topic again. And I think that's going to be important for us to look at because it's one of those questions that frequently you get. Doesn't the Bible condone slavery? Well, here you can look at this and, and say, no, look at this. It actually outlaws uh, the kidnapping and enslaving. You can point to them to that and then say, and by the way, it also outlaws uh, homosexual practices and see how you get on with that. And then um, verse 9 um, it talks about uh, liars, perjurers, the, the ninth commandment about bearing false witness. And then catch all, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. It doesn't mention all the commands here or expound on them all. But it gives these ethical commandments which relate to sin that was rife in the ancient world and is rife in the modern world. And so Paul in his ministry, obviously he worked to preach in such a way to bring conviction of sin and to, to bring people who had uh, broken God's law uh, to, to, to open up their consciences. Why did he do that? Because he hated them? No, because he wanted to bring the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, who is speaking this? Who is pre preaching this? And who's write, writing this letter? It's the Apostle Paul, who himself was this lawbreaker. He speaks of himself as the chief of sinners, as you look on in the next passage. He's not preaching this because he's haughty and arrogant and thinks he's better than other people. He's preaching this because he wants people to see the glory of Jesus Christ and that people, whatever they've done, whoever they are, whatever practices they've got involved in, uh, can come and find cleansing 
and uh, forgiveness at the foot of the cross. That's why he wants to preach the law. He's not down on people or wanting to bring condemnation. He wants people to clearly hear the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to send people away. We're loaded down by guilt. Um, and he wants to actually be, see people freed from guilt and cleansed and forgiven. So he never forgot uh, what he had done. But he does know how to wield God's law and how to bring then the, the comfort of the gospel. He knew how to bring reformation in a culture through the preaching of the gospel. You get the impression he really didn't spend time mess about tickling people's ears with fine words, did he, the apostle? Um, he did not heal the wound of God's people lightly, saying, peace, peace, where there is no peace. Like, how would the apostle Paul preach in modern Britain? How would he preach in modern Britain? That is for us to, to think about and meditate on, particularly those of us who are charged as uh, ministers of the word of God. He wouldn't mess about, would he? Um, he would actually preach in a way whereby uh, believers can be built up and repent of their sins and sinners can be converted and brought into the church. And no doubt his preaching in modern Britain which would bring great opposition. Well, there we are. There we have our, our four sections, his introduction, his charge, his challenge, and his wisdom, this proper use of the law. Um, all these things in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, which he's been entrusted. And what do we see as we draw to a close? Well, numerous things we see. We see Paul's great concern for the churches, don't we? We see his concern uh, for, for this church in Ephesus, he doesn't just plant churches and move on. He's deeply concerned for the ongoing health and um, stability and future of the churches. Um, and in connection with that, he's therefore uh, deeply concerned with uh, wise and godly teachers, men who will uh, rightly handle the word of God. So in those two things, I think if, if we're concerned with, with church planting, the growth of the church in the southwest, we want to see dozens of churches planted here over, over the years. We'll need to be concerned with the training up and examining of pastors for ministry. And that's one of the things that you know, we will go off to, to presbytery meetings here and there. And that is one of the great concerns uh, for presbytery to, to train up uh, men for ministry. And we, we cover your prayers in that, that the Church of Jesus Christ might be built up. And then we see Paul's, we just see his wise handling of the law. And I think this is a great challenge for us because uh, there's large parts of modern evangelicalism which are basically anti-law, anti-nomianism, who sort of don't really get the, the connection between the law and the gospel, think that uh, you know, we're justified through faith in Christ, it's all by grace, therefore we don't really need uh, the commandments of God anymore in the life of the church, or, or if we're going to have the commandments of God, isn't that being legalistic? And, and there's a lot of uh, modern evangelicalism which doesn't really understand this connection between the law and the gospel. And so we need to labour to, to understand these things rightly, that these two things might go together in order actually to, to display the grace of Christ uh, in the gospel, in great brilliance. And there's warnings, particularly warnings for ministers here. When you think of these teachers of the law who stood up and didn't actually know what they were talking about, they confidently asserted things, but it were not true and solid things. They did not build up and edify God's people. Um, and that, these are great warnings for, for ministers of, of the gospel. 
it's terribly easy to get sidetracked into all sorts of contro controversies. Uh, the reformed world is full of those, and there are some, some things which are important and useful to look at, but we need to be aiming at things, I've got some ministers here, aiming at things which will be for the, the edification and the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, as a church, you might pray that we are useful, that, that my preaching and Michael's preaching and our studies are actually useful in the life of the church, that, that we'd, uh, as it were, just give you things to, to take away, things which would be useful uh, to build up your, your Christian life and which would be building up the church and would be exposing sin and that would be useful and that God might use us in Gloucester. And we need your prayers in that. And finally, just uh, to close with, as Paul, um, do, do read on past verse 11. Um, and we see that Paul starts talking about his own life and saying that actually Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. No one needs to leave here uh, feeling condemned by the law. The law exposes our sin. Uh, but we are shown a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to, to bear the penalty for all of our sins. And he rose again from the dead. We are justified, declared righteous in Christ and cleansed. And God cleanses us from all our sins. And so we stand, uh, whatever our history, whatever our past, if we're in Christ, believing in Christ, we stand righteous in him. Uh, we're not under condemnation. Um, it is, it is, if the gospel is, is held out for anyone who believes in Christ, uh, might come and receive eternal, eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, whatever their background, might not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, it is those who do not believe the gospel, who do not receive the gospel, who will remain under God's condemnation and will face the wrath of God for your rejection of Jesus Christ. You'll pay the penalty for your law-breaking and God Almighty will not be deceived. We cannot hide our sins from him. So therefore we must run to Christ. And I urge you, if you're listening to this online, and if you're not a believer, that you would turn and run to the Lord Jesus Christ and put your uh, faith in him and escape that future condemnation which awaits those who are outside of Jesus Christ. But we proclaim finally, Christ Jesus, he came into the world to save sinners. Well, we are, before we sing, now I think we'll sing and then have the Lord's Supper, because that will, yeah. Okay, let's, let's sing now. And, um, because you probably need to stand up, stretch. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co dot U-K. For more, thank you.